0: I'm like... You're sweating. It's like so <laughs> awesome. it's really warm up here. I, should I have a headband or Maybe. So, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Or a towel. Someone could yeah, towel, I'm towel, I'm you off, like, towel you off. Like you know. He's he's glowing in the glory. You know. Let's <laughs> just get it. Yeah. Good right, times. God. Good times. Hi everyone. I live here now. Like, <laughs> Suze, We live here now. Yeah, poor Sue. She grew up in Seattle, and so the sun is just like, ah, you know. It's just, um, <laughs> it's been an adjustment for for her, for her, and and uh, we. Uh, it's really hot, you know, and 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 her web feet are cracking, and it's just, it's just new, you know. And So, um, anyway, <laughs> you don't have web feet. That was really terrible of me to say. Lot <laughs> literally, they don't know. They might think like, oh dear, you know, we should pray for healing. So anyway. Um yeah, we're here now, and it's it's funny because I've spoken here a lot like over the last ten years, and I travel and I speak all over the country and i don't I mean, I do get nervous every once in a while, but like i I was so nervous this morning, like so nervous about sharing here this morning, and I realized it's because I don't get to leave <laughs> like like if I say something that like frustrates you or you don't like i I live here now, so, you know, you can, it's not just like, okay, Ryan and Kate, figure it out, like, I have to figure it out now with you all, relationally, because I'm going nowhere. (laughs) So, that was, uh, that was cool. Um, So, yeah, yeah, so, we're very excited to be here, we're very excited to, um, just honestly, I'm going to take a few more minutes to just, didn't do this in first service, because we have more time, because you're a captive audience, and... (laughs) I um, just the amount of blessing that, that we've experienced just coming here and sitting out on our back patio and going, Lord, how did you do this? Like, we're so blessed, and it's so evident that the Lord has brought us here, and it's overwhelming and, and awesome. And so when I say we are happy to be here, that is like the biggest understatement that I could ever communicate to you. The Lord has just been so good to us in bringing us here, and, and we're home. And so that's, that's really cool. Um, so I would like you to open your Bibles to Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. I'm not going to read it quite yet. Um, I want to give you a little brief historical context to this, and then I'll read the passage. Um, when Jesus came, and particularly here, the Sermon on the Mount, we have to understand that he was coming into a culture and a time to his people who were living under oppression. They were living under Roman occupation in their land, and Rome was not a very fair or, or great overlord to them in their, their environment, and so many that were praying for the Messiah were praying for a political deliverer. They were praying for deliverance from their nation in the here and the now, and so they, they were hoping and expecting that the Messiah would come, and he would overthrow Rome, and he would overthrow the tyranny, and they would have like this kingdom, and what Jesus did when he came, and he began speaking to their circumstance particularly in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, and we're going to read. I'm, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Um, whatever version you have is great, but I love the Amplified because it kind of gives a little bit more richer understanding to some of the words. So it starts here. You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor, your fellow man, and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for Your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may show yourselves to be the children of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on those who are evil and on those who are good. He makes the rain fall on the righteous, those who are morally upright, and the unrighteous, the unrepentant, and those who oppose him. For if you love only those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your brothers, wishing them God's blessing and peace, what more than others are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles who do not know the Lord do that. You, therefore, will be perfect, growing into spiritual maturity both in mind and character, actively integrating godly values into your daily life as your heavenly Father is perfect. Can you imagine the, the, the weight and maybe even the disappointment or the frustration that would come? If your hope and expectation is of your Savior and your Messiah coming to change your circumstances, to change the the injustice, to change all this circumstantially and instead what Jesus says is love those who are doing this to you. Ooh, that's that's hard. And you know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, you know, this is a really difficult passage. What a better passage to start my time here on staff than to just, you know, (laughs) go right for the jugular of this because I live here now and you can find me if you don't like what I have to say. Um, And honestly, this is a very, very weighty, difficult to swallow commandment. You know, and and for those who maybe are thinking, well, you know, we're not in persecution. We don't have that many enemies. That you know, I imagine that there's different perspectives on this because as I travel the country in different uh, genres of the the different areas of the body of Christ, there are some who are convinced that we are absolutely in tyranny in in the United States of America, and no persecution is any worse than Obama. So, just so that you can know, I'm not talking about that this (laughs) morning. I'm not going there. Um, Because there are deeper, richer things for us to hear in this than that. Um, But if you are of the other persuasion where you don't really see that as persecution, you just see it as an annoyance, Okay, let's go there for a bit. Um, The idea of having an enemy and having persecution, we need to expand our understanding of this because the words mean more than we think. I want to define the word enemy for a minute. An enemy is a person who feels hatred for or fosters harmful designs against or engages, engages in antagonistic activities against another individual. Engages in antagonistic activities. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. How many of you are married? Raise your hand. How many of you have a sibling? You have enemies. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, the, the, the context of the word enemy doesn't have to be an enemy as far as an enemy that is like out there, over there, an oppressing force. It can simply be the reality that we are relational beings. And we are walking out our, our discipleship, and sometimes our humanity and our flesh get the better of us, correct? And so one of the chief symptoms of the fall of our flesh is selfishness, correct? How many of you have been selfish this week? Okay, so maybe, maybe you've forgotten how this works with me. Um, when I ask a question that is clearly true for everybody we're all gonna participate and raise our hands. (laughs) So we're gonna try that again. How many of you have been selfish this week? At one point, thank you very much, we're on board. You know, (laughs) I go and I speak on sexuality, you don't think I'll call you out for that? Yeah, I'm gonna call you out for that. So um, when we are existing in a selfish manner, we often, our feeling of entitlement, our feeling of rights rub up against one another, and quite honestly, there's no better way to describe it than antagonistic. Because when we are seeking ourself over the other person, that's going to be in conflict with one another. You want to talk about enemy, we can talk circumstantially. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. When you have those moments where one person doesn't agree with the other, do you know what I mean? Oh no, it's just us, babe. It's just (laughs) us. (laughs) You know, a long time ago... raise your hands, you know, (laughs) come on. A long time ago, Susan and I worked out that we'd do paper, rock, scissors to resolve this because, you know, love wasn't working, so paper, rock, scissors did. (laughs) But but the reality is, is when you run into these things, we can get into an antagonistic attitude towards one another, and we get offended, and we get hurt. And the hardest thing to do in those moments is to love. Let's talk about the word persecution, because we define enemies, and now we all know we have them circumstantially, momentarily, but they're there and they're real. Persecution. To persecute is to pursue with harassing or oppressive treatment, or to demonstrate hostility and ill-treatment, or synonyms to the word are oppress, abuse, victimize, ill-treat, mistreat, maltreat, torment, torture, harass, hound, plague, badger, intimidate, pick on, pester, bother, bully, or terrorize. (laughs) <laughs> we've experienced persecution. Maybe not in the grand scheme of your life is at stake, but we have all experienced someone picking on us, someone bullying us, someone intimidating us, someone speaking mistreatment or, or mistreating us or abuse. We've all experienced one level of this or another, correct? So when we expand the meaning here, we have to contend with the, the, the commandment of the Lord of what he is saying to us. Basically is this, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, basically those that are peaceable and loving towards you and agree with everything that you agree with. Boy, that's so hard to love those people. But I say to you, love those who are annoying the crap out of you. I'm sorry, I said crap. I said it again. I'm sorry, I'm, I can't leave and now I'm here and I have to deal with it. Love those who are not thinking of your interests but thinking of their own. Love those who actually in their selfishness and in their humanity are harming you with their decisions, right. love them. And you know what, I think it bears defining love a bit. So in your Bibles, Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I heard someone go, oh. Um, So many of us in the church know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 because if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, chances are you've heard this this verse. Some of us even have like (laughs) needlepoint or some sort of artwork with 1 Corinthians 13 on our wall. And again, I'm going to read this from the Amplified because I just, I love it. Starting at verse 4, love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and it is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked or or overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. I want to pause there for a second just because we're, he- we're being honest, it's family, we can be honest. How many of you ever rehearsed a conversation back over in your head, how you wish it would have gone? <laughs> and then I'd say this. Right. That's not good meditation, guys. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really keeping an account of a wrong. In fact, you are accounting it over and over and over again. And that's really just like a, a, a cry or a heart for vengeance. It does not rejoice in injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things regardless of what comes. Love believes all things, looking for the best in each one. It hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times and endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades nor ends. And this is particularly important for us. But as for prophecies... They will pass away, and as for tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmented and incomplete. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. For when I was a child, I talked like a child, and I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly a blurred reflection, a riddle, and an enigma, But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Now I know in part just fragments, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. And now there remain these three, faith, abiding trust in God and his promises, hope, confident expectation of eternal salvation, and love, unselfish love for others growing out of God's love for me. These three, the choicest graces, but the greatest of these is love. Let me say this. I believe we should pursue all the gifts of the Holy Spirit with fervor because they are necessary for us to to witness and minister to the world around us. We need everything that the Holy Spirit has for us. Amen? Amen? But let me say this. The greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit in our lives is our ability to love like Christ loved. In fact, in the scriptures, he said this one new commandment I give you, love each other like I have loved you. It is the most profound, miraculous, supernatural thing to love those who are hurting us actively. I believe with all of my heart that there are people here today that you know we're, we're in this church that believes and wants to live in and act in and move in the supernatural. And I believe there are people here who feel so frustrated over the fact that that is not flowing out of you yet. And I believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons why is that without love, love is the gate in which all of that flows out of. When we love like Christ loves, all those things come with it. I once heard, I can't, I was talking to Kim the other day. I don't remember who it was, whether it was this old author named Agnes Sanford or whether it was Harold Eberly. They look alike, I suppose. But (laughs) I don't remember who it was, but they were talking about the supernatural gift of healing. And they said, if you... Want to heal people, then you need love for people who are sick. Because out of the love of God flows the miraculous and the spirit empowered life. Out of the love of God flows all these things. If how many of you have known a person who's been gifted with, with like prophecy or a word of knowledge, but they have not been loving? Sweet Mother Joseph, that's a scary combination. Right. You know what I mean? There's such damage done in giftings without love. There's such damage done in giftings without love. I remember, very specifically, a person who was gifted as a teacher and gifted in the truth, but not gifted, not, not cultivated the, the, the love of Christ in his life. And this particularly was a youth pastor of mine. I remember the day I was 14 years old, and I was sitting in his van in the parking lot of my high school. And I'd just been through a whole lot in my life. I'd come to the realization of a lot of abuse and a lot of injustice and a lot of pain and neglect in my life. And I was sitting in this van at my lunch break, just pouring out my heart to him and crying and saying, I, I'm having a really hard time. I'm having a really, really hard time forgiving. Forgiving these people that have done this to me. And he looked at me and he said, then you're not Christ's. I said, what? He said, God has told us to forgive and love those who persecute us. If you're not forgiving them or loving them, you don't belong to Jesus. Now, does God command us to love our enemies? Yes. Yes. Yes, he does. And in that moment of that application of that truth without love, my heart began to believe a falsehood about the character of God that kept me a prisoner and bound in legalism for five years. You see, I believed, and, and the enemy is really quick to jump on these moments. You know, it doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care what happened to you. God doesn't care about your pain. He doesn't care about what the enemy has done or these enemies have done to harm you. All that matters to God is that you get on board with what he says you need to do in response, so you better behave like a Christian or he doesn't want you. I believe with all of my heart that there is at least one or two or maybe multiple people that are wrestling with that very lie here today or maybe listening over the podcast at some point. And I want to say with authority in Christ that is not God's heart. That is not God's heart. We serve a God who cares deeply about injustice. Uh, I would really like all of you, either if you have the opportunity now, uh, you don't have to do it now, but I would say, go to Isaiah 61 and read it over and over and over again till it seeps into the core of who you are, particularly to this, Isaiah 61, verses 8 and 9, it says this, because I, God, love fair dealing and I hate thievery and crime, I'll pay your wages on time and in full and establish my eternal covenant with you. Your descendants will become well-known all over. Your children in foreign countries will be recognized at once as the people I have blessed. God's character is that he cares about injustice. He cares deeply about what has happened to us. In that moment in that van when that youth pastor was speaking the truth, and it was truthful, God has called us to forgive those who have hurt us, and he has called us to love. That is truth, but it's not the whole truth. You see, the whole truth sets us free and it empowers us to live as Christ has called us to live. But a partial truth imprisons us into legalism and despair because what it says is God does not care. He just wants you to behave. And in that moment, that statement made to me was a prison. But the truth is that God deeply cares about what has happened to us. His heart is a heart that hates injustice. It hates abuse. It hates neglect. It hates robbery. It hates when we have been picked on. God hates when his children are picked on. God hates when his children are used and discarded and abused. God hates when his children have false accusations spoken over them. God hates these things. And God loves the very people that are doing it. Because we are the people that have done it. You know, when, when we properly apply God's character to this, who he is, what his heart is for us, then we begin to get his heart downloaded into us. You see, it's, it's not that we are loving our enemies because, you know, it's a strict behavioral commandment. He calls us to do this, for one, to free us. To free us. You see, the people who hurt us They can't do a thing about it. They can say they're sorry and they can say they were wrong, but they cannot undo what they've done. They cannot take back rape. They cannot take back neglect. They cannot take back a word spoken. It happened. But God says, I take your ashes and I give you beauty. I take your despair and I give you joy. I take the things that have happened, the injustices that have happened, the pain that has happened, all these things. They can't do a thing about it. Let them go. Come to me and let me give you what was taken because I hate injustice and I hate robbery and I will give you double back what you lost. I got to tell you, the moment I began to be set free from that was the moment I began to get God's, heart for me. The enemy had me bound and hurting for years because it didn't, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what happened. God didn't care what happened. Just be a good boy. And God's heart bleeds and bled for what happened. You know what I love is that God does not call us to do anything he has not first done for us. You know, this commandment, love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. Christ demonstrated it himself on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very fact that Christ died and bled is is the demonstration that he honors and loves us enough to die for each one of us when we don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And then he brings us into his family and demonstrates that outpouring love that then makes us his sons and daughters. And I love that this passage says, don't do this so that you're worthy of being his son or daughter. It says, when you do this, you reveal the truth of who you are. You are his sons and daughters. Let his life flow through us. Why? Because the very people that are hurting us are people God cares about too. And I'll tell you what, there is no greater witness when someone is actively persecuting you, actively hurting you, actively harming you, actively selfish, and you demonstrate the character of Christ through his love to them. It is confounding. It is supernatural. Amen? And this is, like I said, this is bigger than, this is broader than our typical understanding of enemy. Husbands in this room What is your response when your wife antagonizes you? Do you pour the love of Jesus right back out to them? I'll tell you what, this is so convicting to me, because I know my own selfishness, and I know my own wounds, and I'll tell you, I have not always, have not treated my wife that way. And it is a humbling thing to realize Christ has called us to demonstrate his love in those moments Parents. Parents in the room. There's, there is a parent in this room. Look at me being f- four square and charismatic. Look, I got a word of knowledge. Yeah, yeah I live here now. <laughs> there is a parent in this room that is feeling condemned over the fact that you are, you are bearing some animosity and hatred towards your child. And you feel worthless, and you feel like a failure because... Your child's behavior is antagonizing you and you are are viewing them as an enemy. And your response to them has been informed by that. And I want to tell you, Christ forgives you and he gives you the power and the grace to love that kid with every bit of love and mercy and grace and supernatural power that he has loved you. Do not be condemned. Do not agree with the enemy and do not treat that enemy like an enemy. You are free. In the power of Christ, you are free from that. Do not be condemned anymore. When I was preparing this, I was at Starbucks because you need <laughs> caffeine. Um, and I was sitting there and and, uh, and I felt like the Lord, he gave me a picture, and, which is, like, cool because I'm foursquare now. Um, Laughter and he gave me this picture of this locked gate, and the Lord just kind of said, I'm going to open the gates, and I thought, okay. I grew up like Baptist-ish, um, so I'm like, is this me? Is this the Lord? You know, did I walk by a gate earlier? Am I remembering it? You ever have those moments where like the Lord gives you a picture, and you're like, let's just test this out. Okay. All right, Lord, there's a gate. You're going to open them. Are there more than one? How many are there? Immediately, the Lord's like, there's five. Am I looking at my hand? Am I, you know, is this, (laughs) what? Because it's sometimes there's just, it's just faith to say, okay, there's five. Lord, what are they? And the Lord very clearly and specifically spoke five things to me that I believe he wants to break open the gates and there are people here today that are locked up because of these things. Right. And I'm going to speak to the first one. The first one is abuse. There are people here who have been sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused, spiritually abused, abused in any which way, shape, or form. And because of that, that pain and that anger and that despair, you have been locked in a prison. And Christ wants to knock that gate down. And he wants to free you with the reality that he loves you and your pain mattered and that he is the one who can restore you. And you need, to, you need to let him do that and begin to bless those who have hurt you. No more do you need to be a prisoner and locked up. God has so much for you and that gate needs to be knocked down so that his love can flow through you. The second is neglect. You know, abuse can sometimes be rationalized. People are jerks. You know, people get angry, people get drunk, people do things, and you can understand, well, they're evil. But when someone who is supposed to love you and supposed to care for you simply is indifferent and doesn't, that is really difficult to understand. And there's a specific wound that comes with neglect. And we begin to believe wrong things about the heart of God who would put these people in our life who were supposed to love us and they don't. And that we begin taking on something about the heart of God in that. And there are people here that are locked up because you've been neglected. And let me tell you, that is not God's heart for you. And we need to be free of that. Injustice is the next one he spoke clearly to me. And, you know, some of us are just born with an inflated need for justice. My dad told me that the first words out of my mouth were, that's not fair. You know, have you ever met those people that are like, that piece of steak is not as big as yours? <laughs> <laughs> that's me. I like steak. I mean, but, but you know what I mean? Where injustice is some people are just like, ah, it's all right. And it just rolls off their back. And for others, there is a slight or a promotion you didn't get or or a dispute where you weren't represented fairly, or someone made an accusation against you, and no matter how much you tried to defend yourself, don't you hate it when you know there's a false accusation and when you begin to defend yourself, someone says, you're being defensive. (laughs) Because you're a jerk, you know, it's like, (laughs) and it's that feeling of if I don't defend myself, who will? And let me tell you right now, God is our defender. Some of us in this room are locked up in injustice because we feel like we have to defend ourselves. We can't. We can't. God is our defender. He is the just judge. And when we've been ripped off, when we've been mistreated, we cannot manufacture justice for ourselves. Only the just judge can. And judgment says, justice says, it's not fairness. Fairness says we all get treated the same. I don't want to get treated the same. I want justice. I want my justice. You see, I got ripped off of a lot, and I don't want your life. I want God's compensation for me. It's different, and we have a God who loves us specifically, and he brings justice to us, double than what we lost. Some of you here have had injustice, and God wants to free you of that so that his love can flow, because it's no longer your responsibility or even your need to try to get justice for yourself. The fourth is worthlessness. Some of us here have been so neglected, so abused, so hurt, that you begin to believe that you have no value or worth. And it has kept you locked, because why would God use you to manifest His presence in this world when no one cared? And no one cares. Maybe you don't have any talents or giftings or you just don't feel worthy or worthwhile or valuable in the body. And let me tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Every one of us have value. Every one of us, and it doesn't matter. It does not, let let me say this differently. It makes no difference how we've been wounded, what our education is, where things have gone wrong in our lives, 19 years ago, I was a broken, abused homosexual, and today I'm a pastor and a father and a husband because it doesn't make a difference what happened, and it doesn't make a difference what our struggle is. It doesn't make a difference because he speaks value, and he transforms us regardless of what happened. Some of you believe your life is unchangeable, and therefore you have no worth and that is a lie, and it is time to let that gate fall down. Yeah, and the last one, brace yourselves, is pride. Oh, yeah, I like that. response. Oh, shoot, you know? Because maybe you're not wounded, maybe you're functional, maybe you're operating in your giftings, but dang it, if you don't harbor self-righteousness, about the people that have wronged you or the ways you've been mistreated and you repeat in your head, well, at least I'm better than. Uh-oh. Or, you know, pride is a, such a sneaky thing oh, yeah. and it keeps us locked up and it keeps us from being able to really be a vessel for which the love of God flows. We cannot afford pride. I love what Ryan said about being poor in spirit, where we recognize we are utterly dependent, utterly dependent on the the Lord. Everything good comes from him, every good and perfect gift, all of our righteousness, all of what we can do is just simply an outpouring of what he decides to do in and through us. And praise God, it doesn't matter who we are, it matters who he is. So let's get pride out of the way, let's get pride out of the way. And you know, this is for someone too, reverse pride, where you have so much pride in how broken you are. (laughs) Knock that off. Enough is enough. How dare us think that we have sinned so bad that Christ Almighty can't do something in it? How dare us think we're too old? How dare us think we're too young? How dare us think that we are too uneducated or too educated or whatever it is that we put in front of our disqualification because it's pride. Enough is enough. Enough is enough. Do you want to see your life, your relationships, this world, this church, everything around us transform? Do you want to see God manifesting his power in ways that are just ridiculous? Do you want to see people that you go, how on earth did you come to know Jesus? Jesus because you are too messy. Do you want to see that happen? The love, the love of God pouring out of us supernaturally. That is what it is. Now, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. And we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Lord by his Holy Spirit to come and to speak to our hearts what is the gate that is locked in me. And as he responds to you, which I believe because the heart of God is not that any of us would be bound or prisoner, as he responds to your heart Simply stand, because he's revealing the gate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because we're a family and because there's absolutely no shame here and there's no condemnation, let's open our eyes. And if you are around someone, there's a lot of people responding to this. And so this is the beauty of this. Just because you're standing doesn't mean you can't minister and be ministered. So let's just wrap our arms, put our hands on each other, and bear one another's burdens as we pray over this. If you are around someone that's standing, go ahead and stand and lay your hands on them. Because enough is enough. Because the gates are coming down. Lord, I pray a blessing, the blessing of Isaiah 61 over each one of my brothers and sisters here, those who stood and those who were afraid to stand, those listening online, it doesn't matter that you're not in this room, because the Spirit is everywhere, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, Lord, we pray the blessing of Isaiah 61 over each one here. For the things long devastated, Lord God, you will rebuild on top of ruins. You will restore to greater and better places, Lord God, better structures, better examples. Lord God, you rebuild your splendor on the rubble. Lord, for despair, you give joy. And so, Lord, right now I speak specifically to an individual who is sexually abused, and you feel dirty, and you feel ashamed, and you feel damaged. And right now, those ashes fall. And may the Spirit of the Lord touch you right now. And like pure, clean, fresh water, wash the defilement of that off. You are clean and may you now be joyful in the fact that you do not have to seek justice because the Lord is just, and he will bring this to you. For those in the room, Lord God, that are, that are wrestling with pride, I pronounce over you the forgiveness and grace and tenderness of Jesus. May you see his eyes looking at you, not with condemnation, but with love and mercy and acceptance as you humble yourself, he speaks the word over you. Those who humble themselves, I will exalt. I speak to the marriages in this room that you found yourself in here, and I speak this over my own as well because I am just as flawed as anyone else in this room, and I speak this, Lord, may our marriages Reflect your love. May at each moment where we have the opportunity to disagree or harbor an offense, Lord God, may we feel and uh, cooperate with your spirit moving in us to love first. May we respond in love and tenderness and mercy and kindness. May we throw away any record of wrong. May we believe the best in our spouses. May we hear their hearts and not the words that are coming out of their mouth because Satan manipulates those and he manipulates our ears. May we hear hearts, not necessarily words, and may we respond in love. Lord, I speak to those who have co-workers that are driving them crazy. And I pray that your spirit of kindness comes and flows out of my brothers and sisters here, I pray a supernatural impartation of your love flowing through us. I pray, blessing, Lord, that, that in all the places where injustice has settled in our hearts, that your justice will flow, that we will dance upon injustice, that we will return in with, for those places of injustice, Lord God, we will, we will pour back blessing and honor and favor back to people that those who try to harm us will be overwhelmed by the fact that we are so life-giving and kind in response. Lord, may you supernaturally change our reactions that we display Christ. Lord, I speak to worthlessness right now, and I say in the name of Jesus, you have no place in the hearts and lives of those who belong to our King. And right now, Lord God, I pray you give a vision. There's a a person in here who is so wrapped in worthlessness. Lord God, we speak to that and say, may the spirit of God rebuke you, worthlessness. May you be gone. And Lord, give this woman a picture of her value to you. And Lord God, may you ignite in her an outpouring of love that she will find her place and her right function now that she knows her value. Lord, we're fed up, we're fed up with not representing you. We're fed up with not reflecting you. We're fed up with having our our negative, our carnal, our, our fleshly and dysfunctional reactions. And Lord, you have afforded better for us by your spirit. We don't have to try to strive because you have already placed this in us. Lord God, manifest this in us.